Welcome to the Therapist Collective, where we explore the depths of the human mind and heart. I'm your host, Josh Keller, and I'm thrilled to embark on this transformative journey with you. In a world that can often feel disconnected, our mission here at the Therapist Collective is to inspire, connect, and help you grow. Each episode is carefully designed space where we delve into the complexities of the therapist experience, offer guidance, insights, information both personally and professionally. Whether you're seeking professional development, dealing with your own mindset challenges, or simply curious about how to build your career as a mental health provider, this podcast is for you. We believe that every individual has the power to create meaningful change in their lives, and together, we can unleash the immense potential that resides within us all. Throughout our journey, we'll be inviting experienced therapists, psychologists, and experts from various disciplines to share their wisdom, research, and perspectives. We'll explore a wide range of topics, including self-discovery, private practice startup, networking, mindfulness, continuing education, and so much more. But the Therapist Collective isn't just about expert advice. It's about the power of community. We'll be featuring stories of triumph, being real and authentic, and resilience from individuals like you who may have struggled through the labyrinth of life and emerged stronger on the other side. So, join us on this transformative journey of professional development as we navigate the realms of the mind and emotions, seeking growth, connection, and a deeper understanding of ourselves and others. Together, let's cultivate a community of compassionate providers, unleash our inner strength, and create a world where healing and growth are accessible to all. Okay, thank you so much for joining us at the Therapist Collective. I'm super excited to have my friend Marla Berger here with us today. Marla is a licensed mental health counselor, registered art therapist, registered play therapist, supervisor, EGALA Advanced Certified Natural Lifemanship Certification student, and she's also EMDR trained. Uh, She has a private practice in Parkland and Coral Springs, Florida, serving young children through adults incorporating experiential therapies to help support clients with anxiety, abuse and trauma, neurodivergence, and grief and loss. Thanks for being here, Marla. I'm so glad to be here. It's so exciting. Yeah, you and I uh, share some responsibility with the private practice startup. And so most of our interactions through this uh, private Facebook messenger, um, you know, helping to moderate that group, but I've I've especially enjoyed getting to be part of a coaching group with you, uh, with Dr. Kim. Uh, She's pretty amazing, but super excited to have you here. So I can hear a little bit more about what you do specifically, and and especially as it pertains to experiential services and, and what those are exactly. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. This is the thing that I love doing, and I love telling people about it. So this is the perfect marriage today. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay, so a lot of people may not know exactly what that means when, when they hear experiential therapies. Uh, what it's, what does that mean exactly? So pretty much the basis of experiential therapies is that we're actually doing something. So there has to be some type of movement in a way for it to be an experiential therapy. So that might be something like art therapy, play therapy, sand tray therapy, 
equine-assisted psychotherapy, dancer movement therapy, psychodrama, music therapy, um, all of these things, adventure therapy, where we're really doing something. And it's not traditional talk therapy where we are just using our kind of vocalizations in order for us to understand what's going on in our world. And so uh, experiential therapies has that word experience. So we're actually creating and doing something in, inside of that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the, you know, what's the, the reason for that as, as far as how it's beneficial therapeutically? What, what is doing something experiential how does that benefit the client? It really benefits the client and also benefits the therapist. So it benefits the client because what we can do is the minute that we're doing instead of talking, our stuff comes up. And what's beneficial for the client and beneficial for the therapist is that in session, we can see stuff come up and deal with it versus a little bit abstract sometimes when we're doing therapy where we're like, well, what was that like when you had that panic attack? Like we might sometimes actually see it rolling out in front of us and then we can help our client like in vivo, like actually doing that, that space. And so a lot of the work that we do is actively seeing sometimes people get triggered, actively seeing them dissociate, actively seeing that anxiety or panic attack, actively seeing them, uh, their perfectionism get triggered. All of this stuff actually happens because in a way we're actually doing something. And so to me, it makes therapy a little bit more, um, more conducive to actually getting things done instead of sometimes getting things done in theory. And to be fair, a lot of us are really good at believing ourselves that we're going to do stuff and then we don't. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, or that we really believe this is the reason that this stuff is happening, but maybe it's really not. And so for us to actually get to see our own patterns come out in session, and then we can kind of almost from the outside look at it and go, oh, now I see what people are talking about. I didn't realize that. Um, you know, and there is something very grounding as well. So even though I said, yeah, we might be triggering people, we're also helping to ground them in that moment. And we can actively see if the strategies that we might be teaching clients are working. Because if they can't work in the kind of artificial confines of a therapy room or therapy session, they're probably not gonna work in the real world. Yeah. No, that, I mean, it, it makes so much sense what you're saying. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I feel really, really great about, you know, the techniques and the, the things that I teach clients to do. And there's definitely this, all right, now go and do, you know, yeah. and I hope it comes well. Let me know. Give me a report when you come back next session. And so I, I can definitely see the benefit of, of experiencing that in the room yeah. so we can walk them through what to do with that. Yeah, and like some techniques we give are real fails, like they're yeah. just not going to work. And right. then it kind of creates this space of between ourselves and our clients, like, well, that didn't work. 
And then what all of those negative belief systems start getting triggered, even in mm-hmm. ourselves, like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. how am I going to help them? You know, and so it's better to even just say like, well, let's see, did that even, did I even notice their shoulders getting, you know, kind of calming down? Did I notice their face softening? Did I notice like they just looked calmer at the end of that? Because if not, it's probably not useful. Um, I tell a lot of my clients, like, I'm not good with um, breathing techniques myself, okay. me as a person, yeah. sure. because it actually dysregulates me. And then I can't, mm. I lose my homeostasis and I can't remember how to breathe normally without thinking about <laughs> it. Okay. So that's not really that helpful. Sure. But I can still teach them to my clients. So what works for me as a human does not work for often my clients. And so I have to have such a huge toolbox but I also don't know client to client, oh, well, this is going to work because it might not for them. And so I love that idea of being ready to fail and being okay with that. And that's, a first of all, a great lesson to be teaching people. Oh, you know, it's sure. okay to fail. And then I don't want to send them home with something that we already know is probably not the best technique anyways for them. <laughs> that's that's so great. And And so in a way... You know, it's it's not like we're doing guess and check because there's a little bit more strategy to it than that. Yeah. Right. We're we're being very methodical with what interventions we're using, but we get to try them out in session and make sure it's a good fit for them. And I also think like if we don't have some type of success in session, how likely is it that someone would utilize a technique later? First of all, we have no practice. Um you know, or we just don't really believe that it's going to help. And so I think that, you know, for me as a human, I probably wouldn't have buy-in unless I felt like it was going to be useful for me. So I figure mm-hmm. probably my clients are going to see this, think the same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I also work with children um, and their families and teens and their families. And, 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 and for the adult to see, oh, that worked. I could try doing that now with my kid. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people come in and they go, nope, there's no way my kid, they always go from zero to 60 and, and there's nothing you could do to stop it. Right. And I'm right. like, well, let's start noticing all the things that are happening that you think are from zero. And, and mm-hmm. technically, there's a lot going on before that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so... Can we start to notice those signs and symptoms? Can we start to notice those things? Or can we just learn some new techniques to kind of mm-hmm. get in front of it? Yeah, um, no, I love and, that. Uh, and for those adults to like see some success, you know, and again, it is artificial in the therapy office. They're, they're in a space where they're um, going, well, yeah, but you're not their parent or their adult, which is completely true. So the likelihood of it working with me is higher but then that still gives you a good 10 to 20% that it might work for you. <laughs> right. Well, and I, yeah, and just the whole idea of it being modeled for them, they know what that feels like. They know, you know, how to, how to work through it. They've seen it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do you ever find when you're starting to introduce an experiential technique that mm-hmm. the clients just feel incredibly awkward and it's uncomfortable and, you're asking them to do something that just feels completely bonkers. <laughs> you get that? Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, yes and no. And so most of the time people have come to me because that's exactly what they want to do. And there's also a major choice factor. Um, And so a lot of my sessions start with like, hey, you know, how's it week been? But then what goal are we working on today? And how are we working on it? Are we going to do art or play, sand tray, a game, horses, if we're at the barn, you know, what are we doing? And, and then how are we doing it? Are we doing it as an individual session or a family session or a sibling session? You know, and then from there, I kind of craft what it is that we'll be doing that day. But in the beginning, a lot of it is just exploratory. So, hey, this is our first time doing art, you know. And so today we're just going to kind of explore all the materials and see what we like and don't like. And, um, and then from there, maybe we'll know better next time what might happen. You know, same with sand tray or play, um, and with the horses as well. And so there is some like resistance because obviously the second that we're asked to do something, even if it's exploring, all of our preconceived ideas, belief systems, negative thoughts, all of that like pop up. And so immediately people start getting, you know, feeling weird, like, and so as much as possible, I'm doing the same thing that they're doing. And I'm going to also be voicing, yeah, I know it is super weird. I mean, like we barely know each other and here I'm asking you to do stuff. And man, how are we going to handle this? And we go back to the relationship, which I think is the core of all therapy is you and I, we're in this together and we're, we're going to be okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so as they're doing these uh, exercises, their own reactions and responses to how it feels becomes feedback for them on how they need to grow to be able to move through this when they're not in counseling. Yeah, and what starts to happen is you start to hear people say things out loud. Um, A lot of times, you know, at the barn, I'll hear, well, they don't like me. I can just tell. And, uh, or they're bored, or, um, oh, they really like me, or, you know, all of these ideas about relationship. And, um, you know, sometimes they're, you know, what we might consider a fact. Um, other times it's not. It's, it's again, it's their, their conception of things. And so no one has to know how to be a good artist or how to do play or sand tray or horses or anything like that. Um, because really all of our stuff comes up and we're able to kind of work through that. And so if someone says, well, they don't like me, or, oh, I'm terrible at art, or I'm not creative enough to make a sand tray, mm-hmm. um, I just really start to notice that, that those are, the, those are the thoughts and beliefs. That's their pattern. And, and I wonder, you know, wow, that, that sounded a little negative on yourself. I wonder if that's something one day we could work on. Not necessarily yeah. today. We don't know each other that well. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you just notice it out loud. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I also don't kind of jolly them into not feeling it. I don't think that that's my role as a therapist. Um, other than to provide some facts. Um, if someone says the horse is, is going to bite me, I might say, well, um, do you want to move? You know, do you want to stick your hand in their mouth? Because that would probably equal a bite. You know, I mean, right. you know, not 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 willingly, but you know, I'll bite sure. anything that <laughs> tries to stick right. your hand in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. know, okay. Um. So, you know, um, you know, and so I just provide some facts, 
and then we can decide, you know, does this feel safe enough to continue? And it's, and, and, and really, you know, no, I don't work with horses that are, are typically biters. So right, right. <laughs> um, the point is, is that it's all about those ideas. And, uh, and, and what's lovely is, you know, I get to challenge some of those. Um, and a lot of them are anxiety beliefs, you know, um, that, uh, well, someone I know got bit. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that might happen. What can we do with that worry and still do the thing that we're doing? Right. And, right, and because... kind of holding that, that dialectical space of, sure. yeah, I might still be worried about it, but what am I going to do to still get it done? Right, yeah. right. And that, that helps the client to be able to move through that rather than just bypassing it and avoiding yeah. and really kind of remaining stagnant in their in their growth. Absolutely. And I, I think that... Um, a lot, a lot of my clients have really um, allowed their anxiety to flourish and allowed that I'm just going to not do it space to happen. Um, and that's not healthy, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I see that they get paralyzed a lot, um, you know, almost literally that they just freeze. Yeah, man, that concept of allowing your anxiety to flourish, that that's a different approach to anxiety. Most of the time people feel like anxiety is afflicted upon them, but really it, it puts them in control or maybe not in control, but in, responsible in some ways yeah. for their anxiety. What am I doing that's creating this or that's you know permitting this to happen? Yeah. I mean, I think of it like in terms of working out, like what muscles are we working? Are we working on our anti-anxiety muscles or are we working on our anxiety allowing us to get out of things muscles? And COVID um, allowed a lot of people's anxiety muscles to flex and they are very, very, very strong. And again, because I do work with a lot of children and teens, they're adults now are so used to taking away any stressor at all that their kid, that might destabilize their kid, that their muscle of let's just reduce, 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 and, 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 and take care of, it's, it's again in that unhealthy space that I see. Sure. Yeah, not a, not a lot of re, uh, resilience created when you're rescued from those difficult moments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and it's funny because within that space of experiential therapies, I, I usually tell people I'm not terribly helpful. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, yeah. people will be like, well, is there pain? I'll be like, wow, it is. We do have a lot of art supplies. I wonder if there might be paint here. <laughs> and that might be yeah. the response. And so they get um, to kind of, uh, yeah. you know, discover that on their own without having all those answers provided for them. Yes. So many adults are so quick to help a, a kid problem solve. I remember um, even just, uh, you know, um, just socially, I, I had a, a wonderful um, vacation that we do with our, um, w with friends of the family. And one of the kiddos, a tween, he was helping me cook. And I said, all right, so we need vegetable oil. And would you believe that kid took out every single thing that was a non-liquid 
and and kept going like how about this and i'm like that's a can of beans and how about right. this it's a <laughs> bag of flour right. and i said i'm going to keep waiting to hear when you're when you're ready to utilize your own brain instead of mine to figure this one out because i mm. believe in you right and that was you know like a really telling experience for me that so many of our kids are kind of taught the adult has all the brains and not us and so we really need, and let's face it, a lot of times adults as well, we believe that we need to rely on others to help us make decisions and notice things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the difference between telling someone you're empowered and yes. allowing them to be empowered in that moment because of that experience or that that intervention that you're using. Yeah, and, and like that, I mean, that fun little experience, well, actually baffling because I was like, is any of that oil? You know, right. When I was really excited, when at least he pulled out the olive oil, I'm like, that's finally a liquid. Yes, yeah. this is we're, we're in the right, on the right we're track. in the right category. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, uh, you know, and, and so, and I just kept reiterating, I just want you to keep using your brain and I believe in you, you know, and, and that just personal experience will keep helping me inform all of my, the adults that I'm working with, because again, either, in our relationships and I am not a couples counselor <laughs> but you know when I'm working with my adults we're still kind of dealing with all of those different relationship patterns and how are we going to allow other people to help to make some choices that are theirs to make instead of taking them all onto ourselves and I think a lot of adults these days kind of believe they have to be the one to kind of manage everything and there's no delegation <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, I am a couples therapist. And so I noticed that, you know, that the couples that do better are the ones who can have a fight in counseling session without me trying to, you know, regulate their emotions and telling them to calm down and things like that. And uh, when they learn, okay, what did that feel like? How did you notice yourself escalating and dysregulating there? Let's talk through this. Let's figure out what do we need to do when that happens. And they become attuned to their own emotions with their partner sitting right there next to them. They learn, okay, I I can do this. I I do this in therapy. I can do this at home too. And and that's a really beautiful moment for them to be able to link. And I love when in a way, like our voices in their head, because I have so many different Mm -hmm. voices in my head of people who've taught me major things and it's like so exciting like and i heard your voice say to me yes yes (laughs) oh i'm so happy (laughs) yeah when when they're excited to hear your voice it's a win sometimes they're like dang it josh get out of my head yeah Yeah. but totally (laughs) i'll take the dang it moments too (laughs) sure sure me too it's it you know it means that there's something that's sticking with them and that's yeah. that's really encouraging to hear. So yeah. So uh, you know when you mentioned that you were wanting to talk about experiential services, and I knew that you did sand tray and play therapy mm-hmm. and equine assisted, I hadn't thought about how all of those are really connected with this thread. And as you're talking about it, I can see how really we're we're accomplishing some of the same purposes with each of those different types of of services. Um, yes. Was that something that you set out to do intentionally or was it just you're drawn to experiential services and so naturally these very overtly experiential practices kind of became what you niched in on? 
I'd love to say there was a lot more deliberation, <laughs> but <laughs> okay. um, it pretty much started um, when I was in high school. Um, I actually had a friend, John, who died by suicide when I was 16 in my junior year. And, uh, and that was in the fall. And in the spring, uh, someone had mentioned art therapy. And I've always been an avid horse lover, always loved art. I also knew I didn't want to be a starving artist and I didn't want to be a jockey or a vet. And like the, that was like the limits to what I knew was out there in a way. And so when someone mentioned art therapy um, in, the, in the, the, the spring of my senior year, uh, my junior year, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Now, I think if I backtracked, yeah, you know, about four months before John had died and, you know, maybe there were some ideas of like, oh, I could help people. Because that had never really been anything that I had really thought of. And so it was probably like a perfect confluence. Um, I also got to volunteer at the same time with the um, Special Olympics equestrian um, work in Miami. And it was really wonderful helping people with therapeutic riding, but it also wasn't quite what I envisioned as maybe a future in a way, but it was like close. And so um, as I went through my bachelor's, I, you know, worked towards becoming an art therapist. I went and got my master's in art therapy. And right around then, this is 98 to 2000, the field of equine assisted psychotherapy was just really beginning-ish. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best words. Okay. Um, and so uh, uh, the, the two earliest certifications I had was through PATH International, which is the Professional Association for Therapeutic Horsemanship. And they're the longest uh, standing as association and they help with therapeutic horseback riding. Like, so for wounded warriors or people with disabilities or things like that. Um, but then they also were bringing out this idea of therapists working with a team to, to help people on a mental health space, which is a little different. And um, EGALA, which is the Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association was founded in 99. And so I learned about it early on um, and, you know, got, got certified, um, I think in both around early 2000s, like 2002, 2003. Um, and each are very different, very different models. Um, but also in my master's, uh, we got to, uh, we had a wonderful class and we got to learn from a play therapist and we got to learn from a music therapist and a drama therapist, mm. recreational therapist, and then a sand trade therapist. And so from, wow. uh, 99, I have had the sand tray therapy bug, and there are many thousands of dollars, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. In my collection. And so yeah. I'd love to say there was a little bit more thought, but some of it just kind of fell into place. And I always knew that something about doing seemed a little bit better. And ultimately, I think that's because that's who I am. When life hands me a lemon, I'm thinking, all right, this is what I'm going to do next and this, and here's the list. And I'm, I'm already like moving. Um, and so I think that because of that, it just kind of all fell into me becoming an experiential therapist. Okay. Um, wow. All of the loves that I have. And, um, and that's just a kind of, now I'm glad I did not keep diversifying. I don't need to be a dance movement therapist. I don't right. need to be an adventure therapist, et cetera, okay. et cetera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> you found your you found your space, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you know, if if somebody was listening 
and they thought, okay, this makes so much sense to me. I'd really love to incorporate some experiential type uh, exercises. Where do they start? How do they how do they get into this? They don't they don't have to jump into one of these certifications necessarily, um, but maybe they do. What what? How would you suggest somebody just kind of get their toes wet thinking about sure. this? So some of it, like um, art therapy and play therapy and sand trade therapy, attend some trainings. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really how it's going to go. You're not going to mm-hmm. become a registered art therapist by attending any trainings. You actually have to get a master's specifically in art therapy and then do mm-hmm. an internship. Okay. Um, and then you'll become a registered art therapist. So um, there are some new um, expressive therapies um, certificates out there mm-hmm. that are... Uh, kind of up and coming um but you'll never become a registered art therapist from that um so the good thing is is that you can still incorporate art into your therapy services and that's just how i say ethically people should say it um they don't do art therapy unless they're a registered art therapist so that's gotcha right um play therapy kind of similar where you're going to want to become a registered play therapist um Mm -hmm. And you'll do so through the Association for Play Therapy. Sand tray therapy is a little more um, nebulous, where there isn't really a certifying body. Um, uh, And just to make it a little bit more confusing, there is something called sand play, which is a a protected status, which is um, through, I think it's the um, International Association for Sand Play Therapy, and that is a Jungian model, but I, I don't have any training in that, so I can't really speak more than don't say you do sand play therapy unless you're really certified, because <laughs> that's protected. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and then um, for the equine-assisted psychotherapy, a lot of it is about kind of finding who are you as a clinician. Mm. And so if you believe that you really need people up on a horse, that would kind of take um, programs like the EGALA model out because all of that's on the ground and it's all very metaphor driven. And so if you're not a metaphor driven kind of person, probably not the right one for you. Um, And so PATH International or Natural Lifemanship, which is the trauma-focused equine-assisted psychotherapy model based off of Dr. Bruce Perry's neurosequential model. Um, And maybe that's who you are, is a trauma-focused, more more bottom-up approach therapist, then natural lifemanship would probably be the right choice. Um, And so again, like a lot of it is kind of based off of who are you and what are you interested in. And the great thing is, is that there are places that and a lot of the um all of those different um, associations have often videos on their website of like who are they and then attending some just trainings even if they don't um even even just to learn more um and then um and sometimes even finding a local center and saying seeing if there's ways to volunteer to see if there's a spark um that that's something that really calls to you because all of them are time-consuming and expensive to kind of grow into oh yeah for sure you know and so you kind of want to know is this even who I am (laughs) yeah and as you know a lot of times as as new therapists um, people don't really know what that is going to be like and they've they've got to you know experiment a little bit with you know some different things before they really zero in on something that's going to be a good fit for them yeah yeah 
And I think also, you know, looking at like, I, I've always worked with clients with anxiety, but lately I've gotten a lot of clients um, who want to work with me on OCD, which is not a specialty of mine. And generally I refer out um, and some of them say no, because of the experiential services, that's why I want to work with you. And nobody else is doing that. And I'm very transparent, not my specialty. I might only take you so far. And as long as we're making progress, I'm okay but I also believe they might take you quicker <laughs> through yeah, this. Sure. You know, but but now because I have these referrals, now I'm doing deep dives into what the heck is OCD and obviously know what it is, but but how do I treat it? And so um, you know, spending more time also understanding my clients and the different types of techniques out there and signing myself up for more trainings because you know, no, I'm not gonna probably get certified, but that's okay. I at least have to understand the basics of how to help in a way that's deeper than maybe my anxiety services because OCD is such a different beast. Yeah. So have you thought about, or or do you already provide trainings? I do. I do. So, um, you know, that is also a great way for people to look at, you know, well, what is this whole art therapy stuff or play therapy or sand trait therapy and how might I learn a little bit? And so, um, on my website, uh, I have both in-person um, types of trainings as as well as live virtual ones, but then also on-demand ones, um, So, uh, which is wonderful because then people can watch that in their own time and speed. And those are trainings, but not certifications. Is that something that you... Correct. Yeah. So some people who, and I'm a a CEU provider for Florida, mental health counselors, social workers, and marriage and family therapists. Um, But uh, I'm also a a CE provider for um, play therapists. So people who are interested in becoming a registered play therapist can actually watch or attend and get towards the certification um, requirements that we have um, to learn more. Yeah. And some people are just like, I just want to see what is this all about? Would I be even interested? Um, and if so, oh, okay, that, that might be something I want to pursue more. That's a good way Uh, for them to, to kind of get a feel for what it's like. Exactly. Um, you know, and I know, um, most states have wonderful, um, branches, and they have some local resources too. So again, those are all great ones to look at. Like, what does my state have? I'm just trying to think about um, if I wanted to be an equine assisted therapist, <laughs> yeah. do I have to go out and get like acres of land and a horse? And you know, how do I how do I make that happen? If I, that's not yeah. something that I'm personally interested in, but um, yeah. if somebody were, is that all necessary or can they partner with someone? How does that work? Yeah. So most, most of the modalities really use a team approach of an equine specialist and a mental health practitioner. Um, so almost all of them use two people. And so generally somebody in that mix usually owns the horses or works with the horses. So usually the equine specialist some places are a little different. Um, And so other times there's a third party, which is the facility that has the horses. And so we have kind of two people coming in, that equine specialist and mental health practitioner coming in and and hiring the horses um, and the facility to be able to use it. So currently I'm at just a lovely barn in Parkland. and, um, And so when I need that equine specialist, I bring them in. 
Um, and other times I'm just doing more nature work where we're in nature and um, doing nature play therapy or that trauma-focused equine-assisted psychotherapy model where um, uh, I can utilize um, being kind of both people because I'm I can flow between the two roles, being an equine yeah. specialist or a mental health person. Sure, yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, and I'm sure a lot of that develops over time and your capacity to, to know It does. Do. And some yeah. models say that we're not allowed to be both people. And okay. so I think that that's also a really important thing to know and to know financially. Can we afford to do that? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I have to charge, um, I, well, I mean, I charge what is typical for my area and for range of experience at 20 plus years and specializations. Um, so I charge what's typical, but when I do an equine session, boy, I'm making a lot less money um, <laughs> because I'm bringing in that equine specialist who I'm now having to pay, et cetera, et cetera. So my client doesn't have to know about any of that. Um, I'm not interested in them understanding that all the services are the same fee. Um, and so that might be difficult for some people's practice. Um, so uh, having horses is expensive. Yeah. So if you really want a hobby <laughs> that <laughs> takes yeah. all your money. Takes all your money. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Get a horse. Yeah. Or two no, or three. <laughs> sure. My daughter loves riding horses and she goes a couple times a week and <sighs> she keeps asking and, you know, I just have to tell her, yeah, we just, we just can't right now. But Let's support you in your hobby. You know, where do you want to go with this? How can we, you know, champion this for her? I'd love for her to be a, an equine assistant therapist uh, yeah. someday. I think she'd be really great at that. Um, but she's probably going to want me to buy her a horse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want me to buy me a horse too. Yeah. But I also know I can't afford one, right? No. Right. And I tell her, I'd, <laughs> I'd, okay. love, I'd love for things to be going well enough to buy you a horse. Yeah. Like, man, yes. what a dream. I, if I could do that. In a heartbeat, I would. So, yeah. <laughs> so where do so, you see yourself yeah. <laughs> moving with this, you know, in, in the coming years? Do you feel like you're kind of in your sweet spot or do you feel like there's kind of a what's next for you as far as where you're taking your uh, experiential services? Well, I think I really am in quite a sweet spot, but I do want to continue to be um, presenting more. And so um, I have... A, uh, chances to present nat- nationally, which is wonderful. And so really for me to be able to continue that, as well as to continue taping more of my on-demand webinars, because I think that that's also a really great way without the stress of having to kind of set aside that time frequently. Um, and it also just makes it easier on, on on people who are interested in learning, because then it's at anyone's own pace. Um, and that's a really big one. Um, I would love to build, I have a small group practice, so I have um, some wonderful clinicians that I'm working with. I'm training the next generation with student interns from local universities. And I think that that just continuing in a small private practice setting where I'm not interested in growing too much more, but um, just being able to bounce between the joys of supervision, which I absolutely love, doing therapy, which I love, and then um, presenting, which I love, that kind of gives me just that, that, like you said, that sweet spot of things are always kind of a little exciting because it's a, something I really like doing, you know? 
Yeah, so. no, that's great. I mean, and, and I, that's one of the things that I've really appreciated just as I've gotten to know you is how mm-hmm. you've got a lot of really exciting things going on. Yeah. And definitely the training of the next generation, I think is huge, yeah. especially when, when you've got as much experience as, as you have. Just that's a wealth of knowledge that other people need to benefit from. And I'm, and I'm excited that you continue to have in, you have interns, right? I don't know what they call them in Florida. Are they interns yeah, or so associates? Yeah. Yeah, they're interns. They're kind of that associate space. And so I have registered interns who are post masters, as well as student interns who are, you know, in their masters. Um, and then also people who are interested in becoming a registered play therapist, they need a registered play therapist supervisor. And so they might be post license and have been doing this for years. And they're actually the hardest to work with because really? they think they got it. You know, it's like, okay. well, I already know I've been doing this forever. <laughs> yeah. Like you have been, but now your game has yeah. to like go to the next, yeah. next, next, next level. Right. Because you don't quite get the idea of play therapy. You kind of think I'm playing with the kid. Therefore, that's play therapy. And so that's also really exciting. And hard to explain (laughs) it's kind of like when i decided to get guitar lessons after being self-taught for 20 years and the guy was like your form is horrible and you know i know not that you would say that to your your people but uh yeah a lot of well (laughs) i say it with more kindness but yeah i know my boyfriend had the same thing when he went back after being you know self-taught and he decided to do the same thing and the guy's kind of like, well, how'd you decide to do that? Like, what? <laughs> But yeah. then I think about people like I know I love Dave Matthews. And when he says, you know, a lot of people, you know, they want to learn how to play what I'm playing, but never, ever learn from me because I do it wrong. <laughs> There's a lot of musicians who kind of made it big like that. Mumford and yeah. Sons is another one that, yes. that I like that who said that in an interview. So. I do think that when we when we decide to get the formal training, yeah. we're really learning best practices as well as the yes. ethics of it. And instead yeah, of yes. just what feels good or we think is working, right? We wanna use evidence-based practices. And so that's why that's so important. Yeah. And I, exactly, I think an ethical approach to everything is, is the underpinning to really good therapy. Um, and then, also the deliberate decision to make to do things i mean a lot of times i do them on a gut feeling and i'll say gosh that was weird that i thought that but then when i think back i go that's why my gut told me to do that because this is the model i'm following this is the ethical guidelines and then this is the the underpinning to why that client needed that in that moment and and sometimes it's not like on the surface of my brain in that moment, yeah. but then I realize it afterwards. Yeah, it's yeah. like muscle memory. Yeah. Yes. Very yes. Cool. Exactly. Cool. Awesome. Well, Marla, this has been so interesting. Uh, I'm going to actually go and do some research on my own about this, especially especially yeah. with couples therapy, because I do think that it's it's you know that's an area that experiences can can feel a little bit awkward, but man, so beneficial. Um, yeah, so and a lot of times you. I actually partner with another therapist where they bring their client in. It might be one or two sessions tops. But what we do is we create some type of experiential that they want. And then I say, so these are the things that we notice coming up. Go. And they're going to run with it probably for a few months, you know. And they, I may never see them again because it gave so much literal like f- fodder for them to, to use 
in session. Um, and for the clients to sometimes have that breakthrough moment of, oh, that thing you've been telling me about, I finally saw finally. myself doing it. Yes. yes. And that, <laughs> I aha, felt myself just, doing it. Yes. It's so big for them. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Great. And so that is something. You don't always have to have the training yourself. You might just hire someone those one or two times and okay. or for an intensive. Yeah. Oh, and well, those I love are intensive. so cool, too. I love yeah. I started doing those a couple months ago, and... And see so much, so much growth in such a short period of time with couples. So yes, very cool, awesome. <laughs> so, how can people contact you if they have more questions? Uh, your your website. What what's the best way for people to learn more if they want um, specific wisdom from you? <laughs> well, you're welcome to um, to go onto my website, burgercounselingservices.com. Uh, B-E-R-G-E-R-C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G-S-E-R-V-I-C-E-S dot com. S, yes. Um, <laughs> and my cell phone is 561-866-3056. I love it when people give me a call because then I can really help sometimes link them in. Um, and my email is marla at burgercounselingservices.com. So people are welcome to reach out find out more information. And uh, of course, if they have questions, you're welcome to ask because this is a lot. And a lot of it is, is I'm going to throw it back at people and say, it's some soul searching. Who are you? Once you know that I can, I might be able to help point you in the right direction towards some certifications or best practice models. (laughs) That's so great. I'm so, I'm sure so many people uh, would benefit from that. Just knowing themselves and, you know, where do I go with this? That'd be, yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure talking with you and maybe we'll have you on again soon sometime. I'd love to. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on The Therapist Collective. We hope this episode has ignited a spark within you and left you with newfound inspiration, connection, and a sense of growth. Remember, the journey of professional discovery is an ongoing one. Take the insights and wisdom you've gained here and apply them to your life and career. Embrace the power of vulnerability, seek support when needed, and continue to cultivate a deep understanding of yourself and others. We'd love to hear from you, our incredible listeners. Share your thoughts, reflections, and stories with us through our website and social media platforms. Your experiences and insights can help create a ripple effect of transformation in our community. And finally, remember that growth is a collective endeavor. Together, we can create a world where mental health is prioritized, where empathy and understanding are the foundation of our interactions, and where each individual is empowered to embrace their true potential. Thank you for being part of the Therapist Collective. Until we meet again, continue to inspire, connect, and grow.